Welcome to another edition of Overcome Out Loud with Charlie Smith. This podcast is dedicated and committed to sharing the story of real people that have overcome real obstacles in their lives to give other people hope. I am on a mission to give people hope in whatever it is they're going through. And just so many people, including myself, have suffered in silence that the courage and vulnerability of our guests has given so many people a pathway out. And today I am joined by Trake Carpenter. Trake is the host of the Golf Golf Performance Show, GPS podcast, uh, which I've had the pleasure of of sharing an episode with. He is a holistic uh, golf instructor, incredible background in golf and, and his own overcome story. I like to call people like Drake a dual threat. He's got both the kind of insight into the mental performance side of life, how golf kind of reflects life, and, and also, you know, your own story of overcoming some adversity in your life and how the, those, those lessons have served you. So welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Charlie. Good to uh, jump on each other's show and sit on opposite ends of the table and, and share each other's perspective. So happy to join you. Thanks for having me. Oh yeah. It's been great. I mean, just having gotten to know you recently, but feeling like I've known you a long time and, and how encouraging you've been in, in my growth personally and, and supportive. Um, it's just great to, to kind of get you on here and, and hear a little bit about what it's been like to, to, to live your life. And, and so you started, uh, tell us a little bit about your origin story. You grew up in a small town, right? In, in Indiana. Yeah, small town, uh, northern Indiana, you know, really small family. Most of my family still lives there. Um, I'm kind of the only one who's wandered away from home and stayed away from home for any significant amount of time. Uh, you know, so that's got some challenges in and of itself over the years. But, you know, I grew up in a small town playing golf and obviously basketball in Indiana. Like, that's just what you do, right? My whole family played. My dad played. My uncle played. And, that's what I grew up knowing. Right. But golf was always the thing for me that really stuck, you know, more often than not, I just kind of grew up. We played golf every summer with my uncle and, and his two sons, he was a school teacher. So we had the summers to just kind of go play golf every morning. And that's how I learned to play. So, you know, that's, that's kind of affected how I've, I've grown up in golf and coach and all that stuff uh, along the years. Um, but, you know, grow up in a small town, I go to college And I had as many people in my freshman dorm, my first year of college, as I had in my entire town growing up. So like shell shock day one, right? Like I had no idea what I was doing when I got to college. So that was probably the the first time I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. How do I navigate this? Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, and I want to talk a little bit about that transition from, you know, kind of, you know, golf as a hobby, playing competitively in, in high school and, and navigating, you know, the opportunity to play at a, at a higher level and, and talk about a little bit about some of the pressure that you faced going from playing golf competitively in, in high school to playing golf for the first time and, and what it was like to navigate, you know, getting offers or not getting offers or kind of understanding that you wanted to take golf a little more seriously. And I I use that really as a contrast to anything that we choose to do seriously. It's, you know, that, that, that adage is what I want consistent with what I do. And if I want to be a casual golfer, there's a set of behaviors that go along with that. But if I want to play in college, there's a set of behaviors that go along with that. And it's, and, and the pressure changes, what was that like for you? And how did a kid from a small town end up playing collegiate golf? Uh, I was really lucky. I knew the right, I knew the right person who got me in the door. Ball state was my only division one offer. 
Uh-huh. Um, I never played outside of Indiana growing up. So I was really naive for lack of a better term, getting to college. And my biggest mistake was I thought I was way better than what I was, but I didn't know any better. Right. Like I, I thought I was competitive in high school and then you get to college and every other player on the team was me or better on their high school team. Right. And so it's like, whoa, you kind of shell shocked at first, or at least I was right. And it's very intimidating. We had a lot of older players on the team and I struggled for a really long time to grasp, like, how do I, how do I overcome this and get to that level? And a lot of it was trial and error at that point. Um, and finally broke down kind of some of my stubbornness and started to ask for help and, and try new things. Um, you know, and that was, the first time in my life, I think I was really challenged on a, a different level that was outside of my comfort zone. Um, and, and so being just in that uncomfortable environment forced me to kind of my first maybe breaking point of, okay, this doesn't work. I have to find a better way and start asking for help. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the NCA recently did a study, I think 85% of athletic trainers on, on college campuses today say that there's their student athletes are suffering from some level of performance anxiety. And maybe you can talk a little bit about this in, in a little more detail, because I think it's, it's, it's a little bit customary for high school athletes to be getting a lot of, that are, that are, that have a high level of aptitude for a certain sport and a high level of interest in a certain sport. And they play really well in high school and it doesn't have to be just a small town in Indiana. I think it's, it's even in, in, in larger communities if you, you have both of those attributes, so a little, a little higher than average aptitude and a little higher than average interest in a sport, and you're successful, you achieve in high school, you're, you're getting playing time or you're performing well on your high school team and your coaches are giving you a lot of accolades and your parents are giving you a lot of accolades. Maybe you're getting written up in the local paper and, and then you get to college and everybody was good. And, and, you know, in your eyes, you know, maybe some of them, your, your, your mind was telling you they're even better than me. And it's the first time I think that, that self-doubt really creeps in and that, and that little kind of inter, inner critic starts chirping at you in a way that he hadn't chirped at you before. Was that, is that consistent with your experience? Yeah, totally. At that point in my life, I had no idea what like talking to yourself meant. Like I was just listening. Right. And that voice is, yeah, you're not good enough how are you ever going to make the lineup? And then you start thinking, you know, man, all these people I know at school, they start asking about how golf's going and it's not going well. And so that, that builds right. And then, you know, you get the expectations of people back home asking how are things going? And you start to feel like a failure a little bit after a while, because that's, that's where my values were. Right. It's like, if I didn't perform at a certain level, then that, that mirrored my value, right. As a person, and that was the first mistake is I didn't know what were my real goals, right? Like, obviously, everyone wants to go and play and, and win tournaments and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, there's got to be a lot more to it than that, because if that's how you're judging yourself, you're in a really tough spot because not the percentages aren't in your favor, the higher you go in, in any endeavor, right? So, you know, learning to value other things that were important to me outside of performance is a really hard thing to do when you hit an uncomfortable spot and you just feel like performance is everything. And, and, and describe performance because obviously you had, you had a certain level of skill. It's this comparison, right? This, this comparing your skill and your ability 
to, to something else and getting it heavily attached to outcomes, which creates this pressure. And, and we get focused on the problems, right? We start talking about the problems. We start thinking about the problems. Um, you know, I, I remember reading about Alfonso Soriano's career at the end of his career with the, with the Yankees after he'd come back after being with the Cubs, all he kept talking about was his hitting slump and how it was costing his team and his focus on both of those things, the problem and not knowing he had a different way to, to view those things and to get focused on a solution really caused him to, to end his, his baseball career in, in abruptly and not in a way that he'd wanted to. And so you, 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 I hear you talking about that, talking about the problem. It's not going the way I want. You're, you really, it really does create a lot of pressure on ourselves, doesn't it? Yeah, and every time you tee it up, right, I'm like, that guy hits it further than me. That guy has iron plays better. That guy putts better than me. Like, mentally, I knew that they had me beat. Like, and I just, you get in that perfection phase, right, where I just, as soon as something wasn't perfect, as far as performance goes, for lack of a better term, I would just kind of quit. Like I would just throw in the towel and that's not going to help the situation, but I didn't have the skill set at that point in my life to handle it other than, okay, well that didn't work. And I got tired of getting beat up after a while. And it's like, I've, I've got to try something different, but for the most part, it's just, yeah, you, you constantly compare yourself to someone else and they're getting more playing time. And, you know, that school that we're playing has got more resources and a better indoor facility and just, anything that you could compare yourself to. I was playing that game and you'll find someone to lose to every time when you play that game. Yeah. So, so well said, um, you will find someone to lose to every time when you play the comparison game, it, it really is the, the thief of joy. And, you know, side note, the job of everybody else in this world is taken by them. You know, there really is only one Charlie Smith, one Trey Carpenter. And, you know, that's why I think encouraging young athletes to start looking at what they are doing well, you know, not as not as a way of self promotion, but just as a way, way of acknowledging that there are certain things they're doing well, and there are certain things that they that they want to get better at. But not judging either of those things. I'm doing well at certain things, and I want to get better at certain things, and and it's the behavior that'll drive me there. And you got behind some different behaviors because um, you you made a leap at Ball State, and, and I think you finished as a captain on that team, and and that came from. I mean, what was the shift in you even at that age? What did you what did you learn to ask for help in, and what was the change shift in your mindset that got you to to change that that narrative? I was always super competitive. You know, growing up, my dad and uncle were. My uncle was actually my high school golf coach. My dad was my junior high golf coach. They were both basketball coaches. So I, I've always been around a competitive environment, right? And so, I finally just got to the point where I'm like, "There's got to be a way to figure this out." Like, I wasn't just going to quit altogether. And I basically started from scratch. And I went and hired a swing coach, and I totally revamped my game. And this was kind of going into senior year. I was like, this is the, I started to realize that like, this is my last chance. And I just made the commitment to myself that I'm just going to lay it all out there and see what happens. And I just committed to overhauling my game, um, really going out there and I'm like, just see how good I am. And if I fail, well, I failed for three years already. What's another one, right? Like took a little pressure off myself and, and took away, I guess, a lot of the expectations and said, let's just commit to this thing and see how good I can be. And um, it, it worked out. I, I ended up winning or tying for first in a tournament, uh, in the fall, of my senior year. And that for me was, it was, um, I guess rewarding that everything I had done had, had paid off, but it was also the realization of the values and the things that I did on the way to the mountaintop, not just that event, you know, like that event itself isn't what's fulfilling. It's 
what I learned along the way that I know now and that I help teach and coach now, but I had to figure that one out a little bit on my own, which has, you know, been a motivation for kind of what I'm doing now. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think it's funny to hear you say it because I don't think anything could be further from the truth. Those three years weren't failures. I mean, the only failure for me is quitting. The only failure for me is packing in the golf clubs and saying, I'm going to go sit, you know, in the dorm and I'm going to drink some beer and I'm going to hang out with my friends. But, but all of the three years that you, you said you were failing, you were actually failing forward. You were learning about your emotions. You were learning about the things that you weren't doing. You were, you were learning so much in those three years and you kept failing forward to, to your senior year, which, which led you to win a golf tournament. I think we, we don't really understand, you know, the, the psychology of the word failure, because really, as long as you're in the game and as long as you're looking at improving, there is no failure. There's, there's just learning. And, and that's what I heard is, is a whole bunch of learning. Yeah. It's the fear of failure often will cause you to fail. And I was afraid of failing. And when I took, like you said, failure is okay. Like it's not failure. Like you said, when I take that off the table, expectations go away. The comparison goes away. And if, if I don't shoot the lowest score, that's fine. That doesn't define me. And that's how I ended up playing my best golf. And you get the most enjoyment out of life for the same reason. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm drawn to, you know, I, I, I spent a little bit of time working on a, a talk on resilience and, and what it actually means to be resilient. One of the athletes that I, that I took a look at was, was Peyton Manning and, you know, looking at his rookie season, leading the league in, in interceptions, you know, being a starting quarterback that went three and 13, you know, there's lots of things. I mean, he threw a, a game, a Super Bowl costing interception in a game against the Saints. I mean, there were lots of things that quote unquote could have been seen as failures, but he used all of those things as lessons and he didn't view any of them as permanent. He didn't view any of them as pervasive and he didn't view any of them as personal meaning. This isn't going to define me. And that's, you know, a, a, a version of what I hear you talking about is, is the glasses or the lens with which we see all of those things through can really dictate the next event for us, good or bad. And so you, when you were focused on failure, you kept failing. And when you decided to just enjoy golf, play golf, see how good I could be, you, you actually won. I think that's amazing. Yeah. The term I use now a lot with golfers is the only way to gain control is to give up control. And that's true in golf and it's true in life. You can't control outcomes, but I can control my effort, my energy, my attitude, right? Like all these things that improve my performance and improve my quality of life, they go hand in hand. And, and if they both go one direction, good luck. Right. So if I can take care of my life, you know, my, my performance, I think is going to follow suit more often than not. And I, that's why like you and I have talked, I think golf mirrors life so much. And that's why I am, I've, I've been able to overcome a lot of things in my life through my journey in golf. Cause there's so many similarities and vice versa. Right. I think they feed off each other. Um, so focusing on one and figuring out a way out of one has, has always kind of lifted the other up and uh, got me to where I am. That's amazing, man. What a, what a great correlation. And I agree. Golf is a, it's a reflection of life. There's so, there's so much of that. I think we talked last time we were together about the golf ball knows a lot about us. You know, the golf ball knows what we're bringing to the course. The golf ball knows whether we've prepared or not. The golf ball knows, you know, a lot about us. And, and you talk really openly about that. So, so after ball state and, and having some success, where, where did life take you? So I graduated having no idea what I wanted to do. And uh, oddly enough, we, had, we always had a graduate assistant 
And I ended up talking coach Fleck into letting me stick around and doing that because they would pay for school. I'd get a little stipend. I could hang around the golf team. Right. And I was like, man, this is almost a better deal than having to play, especially for someone who at the end of the day, wasn't all that good. Um, so I did that and I knew, I knew in the back of my mind all along, that's really what I wanted to do. Um, a big inspiration for me was actually the coach before, uh, coach Fleck, coach Earl Yestingsmeyer, and he had been the coach there for about 40 years. And from the time he retired in the nineties until I graduated in 2012, he traveled to every single event minus two after he retired. And growing up in a family of coaches and, and being around someone like that, who was just so passionate, he was always our biggest fan. Like that was inspirational for me and kind of led me into this coaching path. And when the graduate assistant job was over, you know, two years of school, um, I decided that I was just going to kind of take a leap of faith and I opened a yoga shop. I tried to start a lawn mowing business. I ended up screen printing t-shirts every day. Like ran myself ragged trying to do all these things and figure out what I wanted in my life. No one in the back of my mind that golf was what I should gravitate to from the experience I had and what I could give back based on some of the things that we've talked about. And, uh, you know, I made a lot of mistakes in a span of two or three years um, that were, that were costly emotionally, financially, but at the end of the day, they led me back into coaching golf. And I've spent the last you know, four and a half, five years coaching golf again. Um, but yeah, those first kind of two or three years after playing and then coaching golf and I got out of it and I failed, it forced me to realize again, what's really important. Like what is my value here and, and what's my scorecard at the end of the day? Wow. That's, that's incredible. I mean, I want to, I want to dig in here a little bit because, you know, I think we all have, you know, I think a lot of people will say you got to search for your why or search for your purpose. And, and we're all led to do certain things over the course of our lives. And, and, and we can try to resist those. What was the, what was the drive to, was it that you didn't think you could have a career in golf or was it that, 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 that what other people think a career looks like is owning a business or mowing? What was the, what was the drive or the motivation to just to, to, to put up blinders to this lifelong passion of, of, a, of a sport that you loved and you were engaged in and, and, and to shut that off? Was it, was it just not that it wasn't going to serve your life's mission to, to be a professional golf coach or have some career in it? Or was it that the world thinks being in business is where, where you should be? Yeah, I think it's a combination of, again, not really know. I still didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point. I knew I had a passion for golf and a knowledge for golf. And selfishly, it was like, man, I can make a whole bunch of money in business. I can still hang around and help out the golf team. And that right there should have been my red flag because my motivation for starting a business was not in the right spot. It's not where it is now where I want to help people, right? I want to help them get through obstacles that I had or avoid obstacles and, and help speed up that curve so they don't have to experience things. But my motivation was, let's, let's try to make a bunch of money, have this and I had no idea what owning a business was like, right? And anyone, anyone you talk to has owned a business, like they'll tell you it's not as glamorous as it sounds for the most part, at least getting started, right? And I, I made that mistake um, and the odds play out, right? Like I don't, something like 97% of businesses fail within two years or something like that. And it's like, 
like we've talked about, if my why is not big enough to keep me going, I'm eventually going to throw in the towel on that. And, and that was good in that situation because it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. It wasn't what I was passionate about. I mean, lawn, lawn care business, like, I don't really care like yogurt. I don't really care, you know? And, and I always paid attention to golf teams and I'm, and I'm watching and it was just something where I thought I could just figure out, make a bunch of money and kind of do what I want and, and lived in la la land for lack of better term for a while. And just till I got to that breaking point again, you know? And how bad was that breaking point? Um, it wasn't fun financially. I still cut some checks um, every month, which is a good, it's been a good reminder for me of like my happiness is so much different now doing something that I love that it's not about the money anymore. And I had that. So after, after I, I filed bankruptcy, I kind of jumped ship got back into golf. I'm like, I'm just following wherever golf takes me. And I, I moved to Chicago and worked at a, a golf club there for a little while before I got into coaching again. And I just said, Hey, like, I'm just going to go follow what I'm passionate about, be enthusiastic, give good effort, share the things I've been through with, with other people and junior golfers, whatever I can do along the way. And wherever that path leads me, I'm cool with that. And the last four or five years has been something I could have never imagined mowing yards after work, screen printing t-shirts, trying to do anything to stay afloat. And now it's like, looking back at just where I was emotionally. And, and as a person, I was probably no fun to be around. I was miserable. And, and I realized now, even if it had gone well, I still wouldn't have been happy at the end of the day. I'm 99.9% sure I would still have gravitated more towards I'm doing now. Um, but I probably would have hung out there longer and it maybe would have taken me a longer time to get to where I am. So it was like that failure basically gave me no other option and to jump into something that I really love and that I'm passionate about. And, and now that I like college, I had a failure business. I had multiple failures. Like I see failure differently now and I'm not afraid of it. I almost seek it more than anything, right? Because every time you fail, you get closer to a, a yes or a win and you only have to be right like one time. Yeah, right? I'm, rem I'm reminded, I'm, re I'm reminded um, of that Kobe Bryant interview uh, where, where I think it was Lewis Howes asked him how he felt about losing and he, he said it's exciting. And I think the reaction of the, of the interviewer was a little taken back and, and un uh, didn't understand it. He said, because there's lessons there's lessons. If you look for them, there's nuggets, there's lessons about what I can do to get better the next time. And, and, and that's, you know, I think the, the three years you spent struggling in college fighting, you know, against comparison, fighting against what other people thought you should be doing, fighting your own view of what other people thought you should be doing, and then letting go of that and having success and then jumping back in, not learning, not learning fully that lesson, you know, and life keeps teaching us lessons. And I'm, I'm reminded, and I think people will enjoy, I think you'll enjoy this. There's a little poem by Rumi, um, a great philosopher, psychologist who says, you know, when I chase after what I think I want, my days are full of anxiety and fear. When I sit quietly in contemplation, I realize what I want also wants me. And when I realize that I'm surrounded by the peace that I think I see in you, you know, that what you want also wanted you, that, that this passion that you had to make a living, pursuing, teaching, instructing, um, golf is, is something that also wanted you. 
Yeah. And it's something like you said, if I don't sit down and I've been doing this a lot lately, like since I've gotten to know people like you, like when I decided I'm going to jump into the entrepreneurship boat again, which was a little intimidating, right? I've had a failure before, but here I am. I'm like, man, I'm chasing what I love. It's, it's real. Like when I talk about it, I don't have to fake it. I don't have to make up stories, right? Like it's real things that I've experienced in my life that I can bring to what I do now. And it's funny that the coach that I've been working with, we're going through this process and he's like, we have to start with the basics of why are you doing what you're doing so that you can communicate that properly to other people. Because at the end of the day, that's how you're going to help. And all of these things that have happened in your life are why you've gotten to where you are now. And you have to be able to share those with others. And, you know, I've met people like you and gotten to know like Brian Kane, who we both know really well and following people like Colin Henderson, who, you know, well, like you just start to meet people. And I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be, right? Like cards, the dominoes fall in your direction when you're really chasing but it's just so easy to get in this spot in life where you just want to be comfortable, right? Like, and you think when you just make yourself in this little comfortable environment, that that's how you're going to feel. And when you chase that or money or material things, what you find is like, you're miserable more often than not. And eventually that wears on you until you, you have to make changes, right? Yeah. Pain is a pain is a great motivator. My, my, uh, my dear friend, uh, mentor brother, George Mumford, you know, always says, you know, most of the change that he's made in his life came when his ass was on fire, you know, and, uh, and, and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. Pain can be a great motivator, but, but when you get to the other side of it, you know, and you get uncomfortable and you realize that you can be comfortable being uncomfortable and that really, a lot of the, a lot of the good things in life. The, and, and what do we mean by good things? You know, what I see when I talk about the good things, I talk about this clarity that you seem to have, you know, and I think that's what people really want is this clarity, this peace of mind, this serenity around their existence and, and really understanding that it just means pursuing. I read a, a in Earl Nightingale's book, um, I read his definition of success, which is just relentlessly pursuing a worthy cause, you know, whatever that, whatever that may be is his definition of success, you know, reasonably pursuing, you know, a worthwhile or, or worthy cause, you know, which is, I think your, your purpose, your passion and finding it. And um, I'm just so amazed. And now tell us a little bit about this approach, because, you know, I think golf is, or can be depending on the glasses that we play with, you know, a reflection of our own, you know, dissatisfaction with some aspect of ourselves. It's very competitive. It's an individual sport, but, but we've got to lead ourselves. And you've taken this very holistic approach to golf. Can you tell us how you came to this, this holistic approach and, and why you gravitate to our, towards it versus some of the other ways that people coach golf? Yeah. So, you know, growing up self-taught playing golf, you know, we just went and played golf. I didn't get formal swing instruction. I didn't know what track man, like there's so much technology and everything and instruction in golf. And I just grew up playing, right. If I wanted to make it go left, well, I just, I kind of knew how to make that happen, right. Trial and error. And there was an aspect of that. I think that was good and bad looking back. Right. And that's one part of golf is the mechanics of it. Right. The other part where I've experienced is, is how my personal life reflects how I play, right? Golf, you spend 1% of your time out there executing golf shots and 99% of the time with your thoughts, right? Yeah. And if you, yeah. have st- if you have stuff going on in your life, good luck keeping that at bay for 
four hours of the four and a half hour round. Right. And then, you know, that's, that's kind of what sparked, I think my interest in the mental game, you know, I coached in college for four years at, at three different places after I got back into it. And I, I could, I could relate to a lot of the struggles that kids would have at that age, because I had been through that not that long ago. Right. Like I had, and, and I was passionate about getting back into golf because it was what I loved. It was, it was what I knew growing up and I had chased the wrong things. And I could see when guys were, were worrying about, you know, comparison or you know, all these other things that I had dealt with. And that's where I got into kind of the mental game. And, uh, you know, we worked with Brian Kane when I was at Marquette and that kind of started to open my eyes a little bit to this, this mental aspect of it. And then I've always been kind of a math data driven person. So the strategy piece of game, like the numbers has always been intriguing. And so when I coached college golf, it was always, it's kind of like that. It was like, there's a little bit of golf swing, a little bit of self-management and a little bit of strategy and playing the numbers, right? Like it's, it's, it's a math game at the end of the day. And I think we've gotten to a point in golf where instruction has gone to, um, social media, right? So, you know, everyone on, on Instagram and, uh, Facebook, YouTube, whatever, everyone's like a swing instructor now. Right. And, and I think that's how a lot of kids learn to play golf at a young age is you go get a swing lesson. Right. And there's a lot of really good golf swings, but a lot of the stuff we've talked about that applies to golf too. Right. Like it's so much more than this, this nice little box of standing on a tee and comfortable environment. And someone teaches you how to swing a golf club. Right. Like, that's great. It's good to have proper technique, but like we've talked about, you've got the swing management, you've got the self-management and you've got the strategy piece to golf. And that's kind of what I've always known in college. And so as I jump into to coaching players, you know, I, I have a passion for the mental game and what I've learned over the years and how I've seen it impact me and, you know, my love for data and math and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I've had to learn the technical side over the years, but I'm like, everyone's kind of teaching in this silo. And like, we've talked about when you go out there and you hit a golf ball, that golf ball knows what you're thinking and knows what your target is. It knows your mechanics, your that golf ball knows all of those things. Right. And so if you teach golf in a silo, I feel like you're just, you're missing a whole lot of how do you manage my emotions? How do I, how do I understand situations and, and manage myself? And you playing golf, you know, this, right? Like it's a reflection of your life. And if I'm not teaching the life portion of golf, I think a lot of these kids are going to miss out on what's possible in the game, whether it's competitive or not. Yeah. The, I mean, the golf game that you play uh, when you show up on that first tee really starts from the time you get out of bed. I mean, you're, you're that, that game of golf has occurred, you know, depending on how you started your morning. And if you started your morning rushed and you didn't make your bed and you didn't, you know, get your homework done and you didn't, I mean, all of those things impact how you show up on the first tee. And if you don't have a good self-image of yourself, then as soon as the second person walks on that tee, right? I mean, everything seems fine. You know, you put your tee in the ground, you're on the first tee and, and, it, and, and the beautiful day. And then all of a sudden Johnny shows up or Bobby shows up and says, we're, um, you know, we have a match today, you know, the whole the whole day could change or not change depending upon how prepared you are and, and i think that's what i love about you know the holistic approach is you're you're right i mean you could sit on a mat with a flag and a target and track master and and grind all that stuff in but as soon as john shows up and says you know we're playing against i'm playing against you today you know how are you prepared for that yeah it's like am i going to play the comparison game 
right? Did I get enough sleep last night? Am I fueled ready to go? Like, do I have my yardage book ready? There's so many things that go in to playing a round of golf that I've had to learn over the years. Right. And that's, that's what my passion is like giving these kids tools so that they don't have to go to college and figure it out the hard way. Right. Like I want to give them opportunities that I didn't have because of what I know and what I've experienced and, and help them with that learning curve, because I've seen it as a player in college. I've seen it as a coach in college. I've seen how my life's been impacted on, on having the wrong values and, and seeking the wrong things. Right. You know, it's, I see kids where they go have a bad round and they want to go get a swing lesson. And I'm like, man, let's just like get your homework done. Let's get you getting eight hours of sleep at night. Like, yeah, is there something, is there something going on in your family life? Did your girl, like their girlfriends break up with them, whatever, like these, all these variables. And it doesn't matter what age you are. That stuff affects how you play golf. And if you avoid it, the golf ball knows the scorecard knows, like it all knows. Right. And so I just kind of have gotten on this, this mission of like, coaching people to know what's your process, what are your values, what are your routines? And so much of it is not golf related, it's life related. I would, I would rather coach a kid that said, yeah, I've got a swing instructor. Great. Like keep doing it. I, let's have a great golf swing. You're learning a lot of things, but let's figure out how do we manage this in the moment in competition? How do we prepare? How do we sleep? How do we you know, do meditation and journaling? And how do we reflect after rounds and, and really dive into why are you doing what you're doing? Because that at the end of the day, I think is, is the ticket for golf and life and business. It's, it's why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. So I think one of the things I want to, but before we wrap up, I want to get to is the concept of, of pressure. And, you know, the fact that pressure is, is just a, a signal that you're, you're about to do something important. Uh, you're doing something you care about, you know, that, that concept that Trevor Moed, uh, who recently passed away, I think really emphasized was that pressure is a privilege. You know, it is, it is pressure is the privilege of those who are doing something they care deeply about. If I didn't care, then I wouldn't feel any pressure. If I didn't care about the outcome, I wouldn't care. If I didn't have any of my heart and soul invested in it, I wouldn't care. But it's hard to create pressure in practice. It's hard to create the, the, the nerves that come from having to make a putt that means something versus a putt that you're just doing. How do you help your, your clients, your athletes, your students um, understand pressure and, and how to create pressure in, in practice or pressure in, in situations to, to prepare them for the pressure they're going to feel, although nothing prepares us obviously for, for the moment, but the more we can prepare and expect that moment and know that there'll be some pressure, it doesn't have as much influence over us. And so what's, what's the, the, the Trey Carpenter pressure recipe? Yeah. So just to talk about pressure a little bit, I was talking to a young man I worked with last week and we've had a couple of conversations about him feeling nerves and, and, and anxiety early in rounds. And we got to this point where he, I felt like he was fishing for like a magic pill that makes pressure and nervousness go away. Right. And I said, that never happens. Like, look at the, like the Ryder cup a couple of weeks ago, those guys on the first tee, well, you see their heart rate on their whoop data. Right. I said, first of all, we, you've got to understand that never goes away. And if you do get to a point where that's gone away, you're not in an environment where you're doing anything worthwhile. So let's change our perspective and, and see that anxiety and fear, or whatever you want to call it, is that's an opportunity to showcase all the work you've put in. This is, you were in the spot that, that all this work we've done, that's why we're here, right? So start seeing that as like energy and excitement and like, this is the chance for me to find out how good I am. Like, don't be afraid to fail in that moment. Like, give it all you got, 
we'll reflect after the round and figure out what we need to do to manage that situation better next time. Right. But I'm like, if you just avoid that fear, we're never going to find out what you need to do to handle it better. Right. So first things like perspective shift on what is fear, what is pressure. Right. And then when it comes to practice, I love to measure things. Right. And, and I don't, it's not necessarily outcomes. Like you can measure processes, right? Like I've got this drill of just making a hundred three footers in a row, which you could do. I can do anyone can do it. So three footer, make it dead straight. You can do it on your carpet at home, whatever. What it is, is a mental training, right? Because you get to 95, 96, 97. What happens? I start to think, man, if I miss 98 putts, if I miss the 98th putt, I'm going to have to go back and start over. Right. And that's who knows how long, an hour, an hour and a half. Right. So you've got that pressure that mounts as you get to the completion of the drill. What also happens is I'll find guys. I'll be like, okay, tell me how many times it took you to do it. You know, four or five. I say, well, on what number did you miss the first couple of times? And maybe it's, you know, on the 15th or the 27th putt. And what happens is they start looking ahead right? So it comes both ways. You get to the end and you start looking back. You start at the beginning and you're looking ahead and you're like, ah, it's a 17th putt. I just kind of do my thing. You lose focus of the present moment. So something like that, where you're, you're compounding shots over time and something as basic as a three footer, the pressure mounts, the longer you do it, you start to look back. And if you start to look forward, you're going to fail. And so it's teaching you to be in that present moment, which when you're facing fear and, and the possibility of failure is like, the more present you can be, pay attention to your routine, your presence. It's just one shot, right? Just one shot. Just execute that. Don't worry about outcomes, stuff like that. I like to create an environment as much as possible. That's the best way I found to, to create pressure in the way we train. And like you said, when it comes to pressure, there's going to be a moment where you're forced to find out how tough you are or how much resiliency you have. And if you wait until that moment, it's probably not going to end very well for you. But if you seek opportunities to put yourself in adverse situations, whether it's golf or, or life related, just doing hard things, you build that mental resiliency, that mental muscle of, hey, when I'm up against something, I know what I've got because I've put myself in that environment willingly. And that could be as simple as like, I listened to Ryan holiday, tell an example the other day that could be as simple as like a cold shower in the morning, right? Like I'm standing here under this cold water and I have control over that knob. I'm choosing to deal with some adversity right now and, and take some cold water. Maybe it's five or 10 seconds, but I'm choosing that adversity. So I think shifting pressure is a privilege, that mindset shift, and that's never going to go away and embrace it. And then seeking adversity and just things we do in everyday life builds that mental muscle of, Hey, when I'm back against the wall, I've, I've done this for the fun of it and for the challenge, sign me up. Yeah. I mean, I, I just got so filled up. I mean, what I want to say to people is, 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 is our mindset is biologically wired to play, keep us playing small man. And we, we got to play big. Play, play as big as you possibly can. Get on the biggest stage you possibly can. Compete, compete against the best guy on the team when you can. Compete against the guy that you think is, is, is the best guy on the other team when you can. Because that's where you're going to prove to yourself what you're good at and what you need to do to get better so that you can beat him the next time. And, you know, I, I started taking cold showers about six months ago. and I do it for about 30 seconds. And every, like this morning was another day where it's like, I'm doing this 
just because I fucking don't want it. I'm doing this just because I know that when I hit that knob all the way to cold and I always go as cold as it can get, you know, that I'm going to focus on my breathing and that it's going to be another day on my habit share of checking off cold shower, you know, and, and I'll get out of the shower sometimes and forget and I'll go back in the shower because it's uncomfortable and it's just a way for me to keep testing myself you know, and, and challenging myself to do whatever it is that makes me uncomfortable. And, and, you know, in sales, it could be that next cold call to, to a client or, or a warm call, you know, it could be that next talk you have to give, uh, it could be that next shot you have, but if you practice being uncomfortable, then you, you find that you, you embrace it. You know, at least that's how it's been for me. Yeah, totally. And I, to be honest, after our call last week, and I see you're on social media and since I've known you, like, you're a guy that puts in the work and I'm like, man, we've talked about it. Like Charlie's doing the work. It motivates me to do the work. I started running after our, uh, our podcast recording last week or the week before I hate running. I've hated it my whole life. I ran cross country for one year in high school. It was absolutely miserable. You'd never guess looking at me now that I used to run, but I did for a year and it's something I hate to do. And I said, I'm, I'm doing a lot of the right things and trying to create my business and, and getting reattached to my why, but I'm like, I, I just found myself getting to that point of, I'm trying to create a really comfortable environment for myself. And I've seen what happens when I try to get comfortable and um, I start doing hard things. Yeah, man, I'll tell you, um, the, the, the courage that you have, the vulnerability that you show. I mean, this is what life is all about. This is where the rails of life, you know, get defined. And I just, I just applaud you. You know, I just, I, I love what you're about. I love the, the, the vulnerability that you have, man. I just can't thank you enough for allowing us to be part of your journey and, 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 and sharing so in such a raw way, what it's like to be uncomfortable, man. Yeah, totally. And, you know, like I said, kudos to you for providing an environment, you know, where people can, can share their struggles because it, you know, was ultimately reaching out to other people who I could be vulnerable with that allowed me to say, Hey, I, I need to make changes. Right. And, you know, we talked about it with you know, guys look at Tiger Woods, right. There's only so many things that you can handle on your own before they're going to crash and burn. And, you know, it's, if I can share some of my struggles with someone else and keep them from avoiding, um, you know, that, that place of rock bottom, like, man, I, I think we can get there without, it's going to take some pain. Right. But not as much as if you try to do it by yourself and, you know, having people like you to, to follow that are motivational and inspirational and, and, you know, keep people like me pushing forward. I really appreciate it. And I hope we can get out and, and play some golf sometime. And I don't know if either one of us will be any good, but uh, we'd have a whole lot of fun doing it. So, you know, yeah, it, I really it, appreciate it. it you know, it's, it's going to happen. Um, you know, it's, it, 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 it won't be, be because of coincidence. We will, we'll just have to make that happen. And man, I just, you know, Trey, can you tell people, um, and by the way, you'll see today on my Instagram story, Dak Prescott, who wears a little note on his wristband that says, ask for help. You know, his brother, uh, took his own life and Dak's been really out of the front lines of helping people. You know, my sister took her own life six years ago. And, and, and when we're in those dark places, you know, the idea of asking for help is, is really hard. The phone's heavy, you know, um, but, but if you can do it along the way, you know, when, when you have those little ruts, you know, then you, you have a team around you that, that'll help you get out of the, the, the deeper ruts. So, so thank you for bringing that up. And where can people find you? How do people follow you? We'll, we'll tag it in all, in all the show notes, but, but give us a little bit of a, a read of where we can find and follow Trey Carpenter. 
Yeah, most active just on Instagram and Twitter at Trey Carpenter, just my first name, last name, no fancy website, all that stuff. Um, I'm kind of more of a, a one-to-one person. Like, you know, I like to talk kids and f- what do you want, right? Like, where do you want to go to college? Why do you play golf? You know, like all these things we've talked about, why are you doing what you're doing? And if I can help them get there, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to help. Um, you know, and so I'm just kind of a one-to-one guy. I'm not super flashy. I hate being self-promotional, all that. So, you know, follow me on Twitter and Instagram and, and you'll get a little peek in, into me, but you know, this one-on-one situation is, is what I really like and, um, where I grow and connect with people and, and how I best coach. So that's, uh, that's the easiest way. If you want to know more about me is reach out on social media and let's have a conversation. Man, it's so awesome. Trey, thank you so much for, for really all the encouragement and support and for, for jumping in and being part of my life means a lot to me. And thanks for coming on today, dude. You got it. Take care, Charlie. All right, man.